hands or anything, and I definitely don't want you to point at anybody. Um, but does anybody in here ever get mad real often? I mean, uh, there are some people who are always angry. You know, you know who I'm talking about. I mean, there's always they're always cross with somebody. Uh, maybe you can identify with the person I heard described as they had a short fuse and it was always lit. I mean, they're they're always ready to fight the drop of a hat, and if the hat's not already down, they'll drop it and fight over it. Um, if that describes you, you fly off the handle. You're always getting angry at somebody. This message is for you. We're in Matthew's Gospel again, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Matthew 5, 21. And you remember last time we met together to look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has been given? Uh, we were in kind of a, a transition passage. And, and in that passage, Jesus told his hearers that his mission was not to come in and com- set up a system that competed with the law of Moses. He didn't come to compete with Moses. He came to complete the law that Moses delivered. And, and he was there to fulfill it. Now, at the end of that passage, uh, you might remember that he had kind of on the surface it seemed like a cryptic statement. He said that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to heaven. You'll not see the kingdom of God. And uh, you remember what he was talking about there was uh, he, when he's talking about surpassing our, our righteousness surpassing theirs, he's talking about type and not degree. Remember all the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had all these outward things down pat. I mean, they, they focused on doing the right things, but Jesus said that He's not looking for people that just do the right things. We are supposed to do that. But he's looking for people that have a changed heart. They're changed from within. And then when our heart is changed, it's going to change the way that we act. And that's what he was talking about. Now, I say all that uh, just as a reminder because in our text today, Jesus is going to begin to expand and and show us what that's going to look look like. And again, he's not undercutting the law of Moses. It seems that way when he says, you've heard the ancients... Said, uh, we're told, don't murder, but I say to you. And on the surface, it seems like he's saying, this is what God said in the past. This is what Moses delivered to you. I'm telling you something different. But he's going to talk about the sixth commandment, don't murder in this one. But what he's showing us is not something different. He's showing us the real intention of that commandment. He's showing us that the God who searches the heart is more interested than just us not killing people with our hands. And he's actually going to talk about uh, more than just not killing people with our hands, but uh, not killing people in our hearts, refraining from anger. So why don't you stand with me if you found Matthew 5. And we're going to pick up in verse 21 and, and read uh, just a few verses today. He said, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Thank you. You may be seated. Now Jesus starts out in our passage with, uh, with 
we're talking about the command that God has given back to the Old Testament, the sixth command, and that is murder. That, that is something everybody can agree on. Murder is bad. Murder is wrong. That's, that's pretty obvious. And there's a direct commandment from God. I mean, it's written on our hearts. We know that murder is not a good thing. But there is actually a commandment from God, and that is, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not kill. Don't do it. If somebody did that, Jesus said, they're liable to the court. In other words, if somebody kills somebody else, the court of law has uh, the power and the right to exact justice on them. Okay? Now, that's as far as the Pharisees wanted to go. They, they would say, you know, if, if, uh, if I don't kill Jason, and Jason doesn't kill me, we have both fulfilled the sixth commandment because we've not murdered each other. But Jesus begins to show us that this prohibition on murder is much deeper than just the act. It's a, it's a prohibition on anger itself. Now this, is, this is going to be kind of an uncomfortable sermon. At least it is for me. Why is anger bad? Because anger is really murder in seed form. Anybody tell me what this is? You might be able to see it. Amanda should be able to tell me because she hurt herself on one of these yesterday. This is a walnut. If you could smell it, you'd know exactly what it was just from the smell. It's a walnut. If I said, what is this? You'd say, well, it's a walnut, Pastor. And that's right, it is a walnut. But at a deeper level, this is a walnut tree in seed form. If, if, if the conditions are right, given enough time, the conditions continue, the tree that's in here is going to grow. This little walnut is going to turn into a mighty tree. And that's what anger really is. Anger is, it, it, anger is the walnut. Murder is the full-grown tree. Given the, the, the right conditions, the right circumstances, if we have anger in our hearts and we let it sit there, and, and you know, you, you kind of feed it, you fertilize it a little bit, you water it, you give enough sunlight, and, and, and all those conditions are right after a while, that anger is going to grow. And it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually, Jesus says, when it reaches full maturity, it's going to come out as murder. Now, Jesus expands this a little bit, and he gives us two applications. But before we get into uh, how he expands this and, and applies it, I just, want to, I just want you to notice something right up front so you're not confused. Jesus is using a, a picture to speak of something else. He's, he's using the, the familiar picture of a court in the court system, to speak about the judgments of God. You say, well, Pastor, I didn't really notice that whenever I read it. How do you figure? Well, look at verse 22 again. He says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Well, these, the, this court that he's referring to uh, judges the... The, the intentions and the motives of the heart. That's something that's outside the purview of the law. That's something that only God can do. If you look at the end of verse 22, one of the punishments is actually sending someone to where? To hell. Now, even if you have a really strict court system, they can't send anybody to hell. The only person that can do that is God. If you look there at the end of verse 26, or right at the beginning, he says, Truly I say to you, or your Bible may translate that as, Verily, verily I say to you. That implies that Jesus is speaking of something far deeper than just a court system. He's using a common picture to speak about the judgments of God. What he's saying is, each of these things, we have anger and then calling somebody by name, and then it just keeps getting worse and worse. It's varying degrees, varying severities 
of sin, and as that sin increases, the punishment increases as well. Now, what is anger? He starts out in verse 22. He, he talks about being angry with your brother. What is anger? We all know what anger is. It's being mad. But the anger that he's talking about here is that silent, thieving rage with another person. You, that person may not even know that you're mad at him. Have you ever talked to somebody and, and you didn't know there was anything wrong? Husbands, you've probably done this. You, you didn't know there was anything wrong. And you say something to your wife and... Bam! She tells you there's something wrong at home, right? I'm not. Am I the only one that's ever had that happen to? I, I guess so. Okay. Well, let me tell you from my experience. I've done something, and it was stupid. I'm sure that's what I was told, and and I didn't know there's anything wrong. But Scarlett informed me there was something amiss. There. That's that silent anger. It's not the anger that flares up, and then you know after. You know, 10 seconds, 20 minutes, whatever it is, it just kind of goes away. You get over it. Okay, well, maybe once past, I thought. It's not that kind of anger. It's that anger that it, it, it comes up, but then you hold on to it. To it. You latch hold of it, and, and you don't let it go. You, you have that grudge. You, you nurse it along. And you just get used to being angry. You get used to being mad at that person. That's, that's what becomes comfortable. It's the new normal for you. And, and that, like I said, that person may not even know that you're mad at them. And Jesus says that if you have that type of anger in your heart, you've already had murder planted down in there. You, you may not have killed them with your hands yet, but you've killed them in your heart. But then, if you'll notice in verse 22, he moves on and, and the anger begins to escalate. He says, Whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing. Now, your Bible may translate the actual Aramaic word that's used there as raka. That's what it says. And you might be taken back saying, yeah, that's all right, because I've never called anybody raka in my life. And I probably never will. I didn't even know that was a word until you told it to me. So I, I can't fall into this part. The focus is not on the word, but on the attitude behind the word. The word means empty head. Today, we would probably say idiot. Have you ever called somebody an idiot? Yeah, probably all of us have. You're, you moron, right? Now our anger has escalated, right? And now it's no longer that silent stuff, but now it's slandering them. Now it's putting them down. And as the severity of the wrong increase, Jesus says, not only are you liable to the court, but it's moving on up the chain to the Supreme Court. The severity of the punishment increases. But then, as you notice verse 22, he says, whoever says, you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, this is more severe than calling somebody, in today's language, we say an idiot. Today we use fool and idiot interchangeably sometimes. But biblically, a fool is like the worst class of people. Because a fool is that person who is an idolater. A fool is a person who has turned their back on God. Somebody who, who has rejected God's uh, his authority, his right to rule in their lives. Remember that one song that says, The fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, But Pastor, I remember in Mark 3, Jesus got mad at some people. You realize Jesus was mad? They were hard-hearted. And it says that he was mad at them. He was angry. And then another place, I remember Jesus called some people a fool. So how does that square with what he's teaching? Is he being a hypocrite? no. The word raka or idiot condemns the head, but fool condemns the heart. It's calling them an immoral person. 
And anger itself is not sinful, but our response to anger many times is. Jesus never had that problem, but we do. Now, the anger, if you'll notice in verse 22, it's moved. It starts out as this, this silent thing. Then it moves to slandering somebody, and, and then it becomes uh, us saying that they are essentially worthless. They're outside the grace of God. And when you get to that point, Jesus says, you're guilty enough to go to hell. Now, that's some, that's some pretty stark uh, wording there. So what is the inherent application of Jesus' words? Well, it's pretty simple. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. Now, as I said before, anger is not necessarily sinful. Paul said in, in a later book, he said, Be angry and sin not. So there's a difference between being angry and sinning. But our reaction most of the time to anger is not very good. Most of the time I enjoy being your pastor. Most of the time I enjoy being a preacher. But there are times when I don't, and the main time that I don't is when I have to preach sermons like this. Because what you hear on Sunday, I've had to live out, and many times I've had to fail as I'm coming up to the sermon. And as I've thought back through the last couple of weeks, a couple of times I've really not done well. And I'll just go ahead and share them with you because, I don't know, if, anybody, if I'm going to share a bad example, it might as well be me. We just went to Mexico, as you guys know. We were gone last week. And we stayed at an all-inclusive resort. But can I just say something? They will actually cut you off on desserts at an all-inclusive. Anyway, um, we were there, and there was a man that approached us right away as we got to the resort. And he was an executive something, concierge, and he was going to hook us up with all this stuff. And, and uh, they promised all this if we just listened to him for an hour and a half. You know, it's kind of like a timeshare presentation. And I thought, man, I hate to do that on, on vacation, but you know what? hour and a half of our time, and we get this, this, and this. And so we did it. Well, come to find out, and I'm not going to get into all the details, they lied. And they... Uh, yeah, it was it was kind of aggravating, and and uh, I dealt with it for an hour or two, and, and try to get things straightened out, and then come to find out, the guy it was like a last ditch thing. He's like, well, I'm going to talk to this lady, and she just told a flat out blatant lie that she told me one thing, and I wasn't even there when it happened. Anyway, made me sorely displeased. It grieved my spirit. It, I was mad. What, what I'm saying, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to get him back. So here's what I did. And, and this is not something I'm proud of. This is just what happened. Okay, here's the lobby area. As people come in to check in, they approach them, try to, you know, butter them up and all this. So what I did is I set up camp right in the lobby. And as people would come in and they were standing in line to, to get checked in, I would approach them. And I'd ask them if they spoke English because a lot of people there didn't. And they'd say, yeah. And I'd say, those ETC guys over there, I wouldn't deal with them. And they were standing right there. That was the point. I was wanting them to know that I was driving away business. And I'd tell them how they lied to me, and I was, you know, singing a sad song. And I did that with several people. And later, I got thinking, you know, I am in a foreign country messing with somebody's livelihood. I maybe should stop doing this. So I stopped. And later, after I cooled down a little bit, I began to think, you know, that wasn't very good of me. Because
because I've stood here and preached before you guys about the passage where Paul says, don't get revenge. Let God take care of it. And I thought, you know, I, I failed. I failed in that area. Not good. I, I should I should let God take care of the, the liars and all that stuff. He can do it better than I can. I didn't really feel bad that I drove off service. I just felt bad because I was wrong. Didn't, didn't do too hot. My next story, I did slightly better, but not much. You'll, you, you might, you probably didn't notice, but this is a different computer up here than what I usually use because, um, what day was that, Scarlet? Friday? Friday. I'd been to town buying some stuff and I got home and Scarlet and Jessica were gone because she took it to her play date. And I sent my lazy boy and opened up my laptop and my screen was all messed up. And it was not like messed up. It was, you know, it, it was broken. It, I couldn't see anything on it because my daughter, bless her heart, stepped on it and broke my laptop. <clears throat> I was grieved in spirit again. And so I called Scarlett to have some fellowship. <laughs> and I said, love of my life, Would you mind telling me what happened to my computer? And I may have said it a little more bluntly than that, but I was not happy. I was—I felt when I was doing it that I was really saying it nicely. I did. I was—I actually made a concerted effort, and I felt like I was doing a good job. She shared with me later that I, in fact, had not been as calm as I felt like I was. Now, when I saw Jesse, I didn't. I didn't yell at her, didn't do any of that. So I did better, but it still wasn't good. What would have helped a little bit is instead of calling her right away, maybe uh, uh, give us some time, right? And, and I tell you that to say this. We're all going to get mad. Jesus doesn't say it's not going to happen because you're going to have a, a four-year-old step on your laptop. You're going to have people that lie about you and to you. You're going to have people cut you off in traffic. You're going to have uh, kids that don't mind or, or smart off to you. You're going to have a spouse that drives you nuts. When you get mad, let it go. Don't hold on to it. Because Paul says when you're angry, you can be angry, but don't sin when you're angry. Now, confession time's over. Let's move on. Jesus applies this truth. And look in verse, uh, look in verse 23. And, and he applies it in two different ways. Notice that the very first word in verse 23 is therefore. So basically, because of all this stuff, because you're guilty if you have anger in your heart, therefore, look at verse 23, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there uh, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. In other words, we need to seek reconciliation when our relationships are broken or damaged by anger. And notice what he says. He says, when you're getting ready to present an offering and you remember somebody has something against you, in other words, you're in the wrong, you need to go take care of it. Take care of it first. Now, this is pretty incredible that God is more concerned. Listen, God is more concerned with how you get along with people than he is about your offerings. You say, whoo, I'm getting along good with people. I don't have to get an offering. That's not what he says. He says, if you got something in a relationship... You need to get squared away. Do that first. Now, 
how do you remember that somebody has something against you? I think the Holy Spirit is involved in that. I don't think we're just, oh, I'm just going to try to dredge something up out of the past. I don't think it's any of that. I think the Holy Spirit is bringing something to mind. And He's saying, you know what? Before you do this, you need to take care of that. And, and, and I want you to notice verse, uh, verse 23 again. He does not say, when you remember that your brother is rightfully mad at you. He says, if they got something against you, you take care of it. You may think, you know what? They don't have a right to be mad. And maybe they don't. Maybe they do. But either way, you need to go. Because problems with people translate into a problem with God. And we don't think about that. But there's a horizontal and a vertical aspect to Christianity. And First John says that if we say we love God but we actually hate people, we're liars. So what's this going to look like? Okay, let, let's say we, kids, let's say you get mad at your parents. Parents, let's say you get mad at your kids. You get mad at your siblings. Some other family member, you, you spout off to your spouse, uh, and you don't get it resolved. Well, Jesus said, you might as well not even pray. You're, you're, you've got something that's, that's not, not copacetic and you haven't taken care of it, might as well forget about it. Don't think that you're going to come in and worship and please God with this happening over here because God's not pleased with it. That's what Jesus said. That's not me. He said, first, go take care of that. Don't leave the other stuff undone. He just says, be reconciled first, then do the other. So maybe there's somebody you need to get right with today. Maybe there's somebody in this room. Maybe it's me that you're mad at. Maybe it's somebody else, a, a, a sibling, a, a parent, a child, and you need to get right with them. Do that today. Maybe they're in a clear in another state. Give them a phone call today. Now I want you to notice verse, uh, verse 24. What, what does he say? Who is responsible to go? We are. It's you and it's me. And it's so tempting to say, they did me wrong. Or, yeah, I wasn't in the right, but I wasn't totally wrong. They need to come say something sorry to me first because I did what I did because of what they did. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, you wait for them to come, then you say, okay, well, you know, I was wrong and, uh, you know, get sorted out. He doesn't say that. He says, you need to go. He doesn't say, you go halfway, and that's what we want to do. Well, I'll go, but I'll meet them halfway. They can come out to me, and I'll go. He doesn't say that. He says, you go. You go. You know, I don't like that. Does anybody else? I, I don't like it, but Jesus didn't ask me whenever he said it. And I'm glad because he knows a lot better than I do. You say, Pastor, but you don't understand. You don't know the person I'm, that you're talking about. I got something in my mind, and that person will not reconcile with me. I, it just won't happen. Well, number one, you don't know what God's been doing on their heart, so they might. But number two, even if they won't, you've done what you're supposed to do. You're not responsible for what they do. You can't make them reconcile with you. Your job is to take care of you. Your job is to do what you're supposed to do. And you go, if you're in the wrong about something, apologize for it, ask for forgiveness. If they don't reconcile, you've done what you're supposed to do. You let God take care of them. It's off of you now. 
So, that's the first application. Jesus moves on in verse 25 and 26 to a second application. The application is this. Make peace quickly while you have a chance. Make peace quickly while you have a chance. And again, he's using a, a scenario about going to court and different things. And, but he's speaking past that scenario. And there are some people that say, well, Jesus is just giving us some good practical advice. If you're in a lawsuit, it's better to settle outside of court because once you get into court, then the judge can make whatever decision, and then you're stuck with it. Well, that may be good advice, but that's not the point. The point is twofold. First, we need to make peace with others quickly. Undealt with anger tends to escalate. It tends to grow. And we've all, I mean, we've all experienced that. Uh, it's easier to get things squared away with people early rather than later because uh, it's not had a chance to fester. But more importantly, the point is that we need to make peace with God while we can. Look at verse 26. He says, Truly I say to you, this is a very solemn warning. You will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Ominous words. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of debtor's prison. Back then, they didn't have chapter 13. It's 13, right? They didn't have bankruptcy. If you got into debt and you couldn't pay, you didn't get out of it. There's no way. Instead, you went to debtor's prison. And you went to prison, your property was sold, sometimes your family was sold into slavery, and if your debt still remained, you had to sit in debtor's prison until it got paid off by you or by somebody else. And, and notice what he says in verse 26 again, you will not come out of there until you've paid up the last cent. The problem is, we're all, we're all indebted to God because we have a sin debt, right? And the problem is, we can't pay off that sin debt. We have no ability to do that. And an eternity in hell would still not be enough to pay off the cost of wrongdoing an infinite and a loving and a holy God. And if you die without making peace with God, there will be no escape for you. Jesus said, you'll stay there until you paid up the last cent, and you can't do that. You'll never get out. Now my plea to you is the same as Jesus's: Make peace with God while you still can. Because you can't pay off your debt, but there's one who can and one who did. And his name's Jesus. He has enough reserves. He's paid enough that he can mark everybody in here's debt paid in full. But we have to put our faith in him. It doesn't cost you anything, but it cost him his life. Jesus did it. He died that we might live. He suffered that we wouldn't have to. And the Bible says that while it's still today, while still called today, respond to him. Don't harden your heart because today is the day of salvation. So repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. You say, but pastor, I've done that. You know what? Jesus' words are still for you. Have somebody in your life that you're mad at? Maybe they're mad at you. Make peace with them as much as you can. Give up anger. Don't be hasty to get angry. Don't be hasty to speak when you are angry. Again, I've, I've failed miserably. Give yourself some time. Don't take revenge. Reconcile. That's very practical stuff. But Jesus says if, if we have the anger in our hearts, we're already murderers because you know what? Anger is murder in seed form. Why don't you stand with me as musician comes?
as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I, again, I don't want to show of hands. I don't want you to point at anybody. You know, we all have to wrestle with anger because we all get mad. We all have frustrations in life. The question isn't, are you, going to, are you going to be mad or not, because you're going to get mad. The question is, how are you going to handle it? How are you going to deal with that? Reconciliation, forgiveness does not mean saying that what they did was right, that they haven't hurt you, that they haven't... That's none of that. Forgiveness is saying, I give up my right to get even. That's not comfortable. If you're like me, you'll fail. Or maybe you've forgiven them, you got to do it again. That's all right. Life is very short, very fleeting. And really, we don't know how long we have to get right with somebody. We don't know how long we have to get right with God.